Being the curious technologist that I am, I've always wondered as to the the state that we're in from a technology perspective. You know, data is our economy these days. Data is king. Um, you know, the the business with the most up to date, with the biggest amount of data, um, who is constantly analyzing it and and gaining learnings from it, is usually the company that is is coming out on top these days. Um, and with today's pandemic, we're all online at, at, at all times, you know, day, night, um, morning, odd hours for work, for leisure, uh, just to even communicate with, with colleagues, friends, loved ones. So I thought it would be really interesting to talk with Laura Adele who is not only a data scientist, but happens to be the chief data scientist at Microsoft. Uh, she's literally one of the smartest people in technology and in overall life that I know. And more importantly, uh, a really good friend who I have some mad respect for. So I thought I would have a conversation with her about what a data scientist is, what it means in today's world, and what are the questions and concerns we should be having about data about its uses and about the stories that it tells. I hope you enjoy the first part of our conversation. All right, Laura, thank you for being my first guest. Of course. I think uh, this will be a good one. So um, I think if we start with maybe just uh, level setting with everyone and talking about what a data scientist actually is, mm -hmm. what they do, um, and how that relates uh, to AI and ML, because I know a lot of people get confused with, you know, data science and AI and ML, and use a lot of things interchangeably, and are you know get confused as to, you know, where they they integrate and what they do. So if you could maybe give us a little background on that. Sure. You know, I look at data science. I mean, it is called a science for a reason. It is the science of data. So if you think about a lot of the advanced analytics and statistics that people do today, without it being data science, quote unquote, it is what would traditionally fall into that space. It is using math to solve complex problems with data, pure and simple. It doesn't have to be a specific algorithm that's going to predict the future. It is, you know, doing simple averages. I mean, it, it, it runs the gamut of you know, the math that goes behind machine learning, all that pre-processing and the, the knowledge you gather as you're moving more towards a model, but it still um, is this generalized encompassing thing that people get very confused by, and I understand it. So if you think of it like rings, you know, you have this outer ring that is data science. It is this grouping of mathematics that you can do to solve problems. Within that giant sphere are smaller spheres, and that's where machine learning comes in. Machine learning is part of data science, but it is not data science in and of itself. Machine learning is a, is a more advanced form, is where you're using more complex algorithms, more than, say, an average. Doing an average in Excel is an algorithm at the end of the day. It's a simple algorithm, but it is an algorithm. That is data science. You can see how you would then take that to another advanced level, doing some you know, much more advanced regression, much more advanced prediction, and that's where you're gonna get into more of the machine learning side, where you want the machine to learn from the behavior you're doing using algorithms to do so. And so the, the machine learning is more of the, the automated uh, technology piece where the, the data science is a person, like a mathematician, going ahead and, and running these averages or, or you know, these, these 
algorithms to to figure things out. Yeah, I mean, it's just data science is like if you look at mathematics versus, say, quantum computing. Well, quantum computing is mathematics, but it's a much more advanced form of mathematics. Maybe you're taking, you know, a formula that traditionally is much smaller and making it, you know, a much longer um, process to solve for. And that takes what is, you know, math and takes it into more of a quantum sphere. There's still math at the end of the day, though, both cases. And so where does AI fit into that? Because That's people get different. really confused. You know, they use AI and machine learning almost interchangeably almost. sometimes. And it's kind of hard to tell what's the difference and uh, where one picks off and the other you know, leaves off. I look at AI as um, the mimicking of human behavior specifically. Um, so it is a form of machine learning, but it is specific to can we program algorithms that can mimic human behavior, like vision, program an algorithm to see, can we program an algorithm to hear, to mimic human behavior. So it's a very specific function of what is machine learning algorithms. And taking it even one step further, outside of machine learning, you now have things like reinforcement learning, a much newer um, area that most people haven't really even you know, gotten into yet, but they will. In the next year or two, you're going to hear all about reinforcement learning because that's how you teach an algorithm. That's how you do machine teaching, not machine learning. And those are two very different things. And so I think that's where the, the interesting part of this world of data science really falls in is when you can, you know, when you can learn, teach a machine to learn, that's one thing. But when the machine starts to teach itself, that's a whole other, you know, gamut that's of... That's the rise of the robots thing, you know, people get... That like is like <laughs> the singularity happening, you know, uh, and, and by no means am I saying that, but imagine a world where we are in a COVID world today where all that historical data that we have no longer holds any value because the world's different. We can't use historical data to predict the future because everything in our world is different from retailers to, you know, energy consumption. Our patterns are different. So what do we do? But is that, uh, you know, you, you talk about the current state of the world and, and one of the things is we are online at a unprecedented levels compared to before you see you know gaming companies that can't handle the load because so many people are playing games uh, internet providers who um, I've had you know friends and coworkers who live in certain areas and it's it was right when COVID started even sometimes still today have you know really slow internet you know because <coughs> they weren't built to scale so when you see now that there's this the amount of telemetry and data coming in at, at levels where it wasn't before, is that something that's like a ripe opportunity for like machine learning and AI? And, and what does that entail? Like, like if, if, you know, places that do video conferencing or all this extra data, what are they typically doing with it? Um, and, and, you know, how is that either helping us or helping them or yeah I mean if they're not doing something with that data they're missing a huge opportunity and so for example in the Xbox world um, there was very little impact felt even though in households you'd have two parents that are working from home and you'd have multiple kids on multiple Xboxes it's within that Xbox world that they use reinforcement learning to teach what they needed to set things around. How do I consume bandwidth? How do I project this back? What should my latency be? All those settings were taught, the machine taught itself. If you would have used machine learning 
You would have had to have years of historical data to, to basically learn what it should be to predict the future. Well, that's not going to work in a COVID world because it's an unprecedented time, like you said. It needed a new stance. And that's what reinforcement learning is. It looks at none of that historical data, and it only looks at data going forward so that it can teach itself on that behavior pattern. So one of the things about historical data that I always think is kind of interesting is we talk about things when it comes to to AI or even data science about, um, you know, there's a lot of bias, you know, can an algorithm, can an AI service be be racist, be biased, you know, like a lot of times you will see where maybe like a, a bank or something had denied people because of, you know, the color where they lived. And then that data, historical data, you know, goes into these different services <clears throat> and that is what is being learned that bias and so I guess the question is why is that an important why is the ethics of AI and technology an important thing in today's world yeah no I think it it comes back to that you know with great power comes great responsibility that I use to explain what a data scientist at their core needs to believe because a data scientist in telling the story with data and the results out of a model can shift massive decisions one way or another. And if they come into it with their own bias and not thinking about things like the ethics of AI, so for example, not weighing the value of a credit score or a location or race or income, these indicators that can traditionally be used to profile a person, well, they can then turn out and like you said, you know, inadvertently or advertently put back in all their bias that they have now built into this model, then that becomes historical data that other people use to build their models. And this becomes this, you know, tree of negative biasness and unfairness built into a model. So a cascading set of like consequences exactly. because there wasn't, you know, proper, proper care taken to really make sure that the data isn't biased. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the term responsible AI that has really bubbled to the top recently, while, you know, the ethics of what we are doing in the space of data scientists, many data scientists care about, but responsible AI wasn't a term that, you know, was something anybody cared about. And all responsible AI is targeting is the biasness and the fairness, those two sides of this equation that one must think about when building models. And I think this comes back to an example that I was talking about recently around computer vision and the, the now awareness that everybody has in our space around these things were used to profile people. Let's just take the UK in, in general. They use these cameras to profile you know, the movement of all of their citizens and non-citizens that enter the UK. But they knew all along that there was this inherent unfairness and bias to the fact that they couldn't very accurately match um, folks that were of a different skin color than white. You know, they had very high accuracy rates when they were profiling against a white image to find that person in the crowd to then say what they believe their patterns would be, very, very accurate. When they extended that to people of other colors and races, it was inherently inaccurate. And these are things we never heard about. Yet the UK built policing systems and their legislature around having the eye in the sky watching their citizens. And yet it was inherently unfair and very biased and skewed in certain ways. So imagine, you know, your face is picked up. And it's not you, yet they're coming to arrest you, but the algorithm is inherently wrong, and they knew that all along. 
mainly because I'm I'm darker of skin than than most people. That's true. I, I guess they're not. They can't <laughs> see you as I can see you. So so let me ask you this then, because <clears throat> a friend of mine recently told me, um, who who happens to be a really good technologist, that there are companies that are hiring people with sociology or psychology backgrounds, whether that's on the data side or just pure, that's their role to help facilitate this, this responsible AI. So is that something that you think a lot of companies will be doing? And why is that important? You know, you, you said the, the data scientist is basically like a, a very important influencer, can influence huge decisions with huge ramifications that cascade out. But where would a sociologist or psychologist come in and fit into what is essentially numbers? Yeah, no, I think it's a it's a great question. And I look at the show Billions, and I, I mean, I hate to use, you know, fiction here, but if you look at the role of Wendy Rhodes, who plays this psychologist who's there solely to help, you know, the employees act appropriately and have ethics in their behavior patterns as traders, you know, you know, historically folks that maybe didn't have the most scruples, generically speaking. And that's her role. And so, yeah, I would love to think that this is going to be a broad, you know, companies everywhere are going to find this to be a value. But that's a role that I could see a lot of companies, especially in today's day where there's a lot of financial hurt post-COVID, saying, well, I don't know if we need to do that this year, maybe next year. But then think about things like, you know, I know this is provocative, but global warming or climate change, you've got scientists saying it's not happening. You've got folks explicitly going out there and, and, and having an opinion that is skewing the opinions of others. And then you've got other scientists saying the exact opposite. And where in there lies the truth when you're a company like an oil and gas, a traditional fossil fuel company, when you're trying to explore the future? Do you go down the path of what is easiest and cheapest for you? Or do you, you know, take that bullet against your, you know, your investment? and your board and all the people that have stock in your company and go down an entirely green path because you believe it's right. That's where the, you know, the folks that are coming in to be the responsible AI gurus are that voice of what is right. And do you think that's, that's something that's critically important in today's world where we are online all the time, where, you know, everything people are doing, you know, people are, are shopping more, they're, they're, grocery shopping online, you know, having stuff delivered, they're working online, their their leisure is almost, you know, at least for a few months, was almost 100% online. Absolutely. Um, so it's, you know, and all the services probably have just blown up with the amount of data. So is that something that, you know, even if people do push off, should they make an effort to, to do sooner? Yeah, I think what people really need to think about is the fact that all of these facets of their life that are they're doing online while it's very convenient. It also gives a lot of information about them to some other company that you are now putting your trust in to be the domain owner of who you are, who Eric is, who Laura is. You're not in control of that anymore because you've used their service. So I think the bigger question is, how are we ensuring that those companies are acting responsibly with all that information? Or are they using it to say, Eric works out a lot. Eric is safe driver. Er, like I'm going to offer him something different than something else because I see he buys a lot of energy bars and works out. So I therefore believe he's less risky than somebody else who's buying Cheetos and not do it. You know, I mean, these are the kind of 
points of information that people can take and create a profile of you, much like the Cambridge Analytica scandal with Facebook. I mean, that scares me a ton, and I'm a data scientist. I love the data. I want more. But companies who have this power, again, comes a great responsibility to their constituents to make sure that they're not using it for the wrong, but for the right. Well, and, and I guess one of the things that, that I always wonder about is so <coughs> working in the, the tech and the cloud field for a while, I have talked with CTOs of, of data analytics and, and risk and analysis companies where, just like you said, you know, they, they would, um, I remember having a specific conversation with, with uh, a C-level um, uh, employee who had mentioned that car insurance you know it's not just your driving record there's actually all these other factors that that go into it and i remember thinking like what else could there be and it was you know oh if uh you know eric buys a lot of cleaning products that means he's more than likely to take care of stuff and it was one of these things where i'm just thinking like who who makes this decision what if i buy cleaning products i go to the store and i pay cash and i don't have a membership of some kind i'm not ordering them online how is it fair that someone who maybe buys some cleaning products but maybe doesn't take care of things as much as I do or vice versa is getting a discount? And, and what else are we being measured on? Because it just seems so arbitrary. I know people who are somewhat OCD, who clean a lot. That doesn't necessarily mean they take care of the car, you mm -hmm. know, or, or, you know, like get their car service and other those things. Like cleaning is different from you know, the responsibility of, you know, making sure your car has gas or that it's oil or you're getting it checked and, and you know, you're, you're paying attention to those things. So where's the, the, I guess, one, where's the oversight? And two, like, you know, w what else are we being kind of judged on? Yeah, I remember one of the first studies I saw when I became a data scientist many years ago, more than I will admit on your podcast, that there was this um, study around market basket. You know, if somebody buys this, they're likely to buy that. And one of the big metrics that they use were men who go shopping who are buying diapers will very high correlation to buy beer. And so, you know, it was one of those things coming out of school. I was like, really? You know, I thought it would be something like wipes that go with diaper. No, it's beer. And when you step back and now as a parent, I'm like, I kind of get it. <laughs> but again, who is, you know, looking at this data that making sure that, you know, the causation isn't the correlation that, you know, that it's truly the correlation telling the story correctly. And that's what goes back to the data scientist has that power to skew that data in a way when they're telling the story. Because on paper, when you look at, you know, any set of metrics, you can tell a story. Any If you're good at storytelling, you can tell it any which way you want. That's how public companies, when they report their results, find ways to don't look over here, look at the red balloon. And it's the same thing with data, data scientists and the stories that they can tell. It's like they want to hone in on a certain answer because maybe their boss or their company have asked the question, but maybe the data doesn't suit that at all. Maybe the data said, this, this isn't really the hypothesis you should be asking, it's that. But maybe they're skewed because their boss told them to do it. So therein lies that you need to have the, the ethics within yourself as a scientist to stand up and say, you know what? This wasn't the right hypothesis. This wasn't the right data. In fact, it was the right data, but we got an answer that we don't like, and we just have to deal with it and maybe make a plan to how we're going to approach it, as opposed to, let me just change it a little bit here and focus on that there. But that's the power that they have, and that's it scares me quite often when I think about all the data, as you mentioned, that's coming in about us um, and how that can be used against us or for us you know, in the future. And... 
you know, one of the things that, that kind of worries me is, uh, you, you know, you, you're, you're saying it's it's the business or, or it could be the government or whoever is they're the ones asking the questions. Right. But we don't know what those questions are. Exactly. You know, when I had the same conversation with a, a C-level employee, they were telling me that, um, you know, that the government also uses uh, uh, their services and, uh, you know, they do correlation between um, or, or sorry, they profile, you know, terrorists and which which is, you know, makes sense. But it, the way it was explained was, you know, OK, imagine if you own a home and you live within a mile of a terrorist, you're probably a normal person, nobody yeah. important. Let's say you own multiple homes and you live with a mile uh, within a mile of a terrorist. The the likelihood of something being off with you slightly goes up. Let's say you move around a lot and own multiple homes, and it's just like okay. And I'm sure, right, the data maybe supports this, but you know, there's I've moved around probably more than most people in my life, and never living in like the nicest areas always necessarily. For all I know, I could have been living next to someone. Does that make me someone to to relate to that? Or like, you know, it, it's one of these things where what is the profile of the person associated with terrorists is, you know, just because you move and own property? Yeah. You know, like what, what are who I, I guess, you know, when we come to responsible AI, what can we, either as technologists or normal people, do to, to I guess, question or, or avoid some of these mistakes, right? I mean, me, you know, I, I don't have an online presence. I, I don't post pictures, lines of text, anything really. It's true, he doesn't. The, the most I have is LinkedIn. Um, and that's barely. And that's barely. <laughs> and and the reason is, is because, you know, I always, well, one, I always feel like it takes away from, again, kind of like a human element and, and everything. But it's one of these things where I have seen, I've talked with people who work with different companies. I've seen how easy it is as a company to buy data from one of these data providers who will give you access to all this data that they have because your social media profile was public. And, and all of this just gets scraped in. And it allows people to make the the craziest connections to you know in, in regards to your likes your dislikes they had like the reason i saw this was a company i was working for at the time they were scraping public data and they would put this in a sales dashboard for these salespeople and so you would see you know oh eric's picture that he you know if he had kids like social media maybe he was in front of a boat so if you know he came in then you could say oh hey you like boats i like boats too and it's just became this very uh to me, very disingenuous, targeted, sharky mm -hmm. type of of sale, yeah. you know, and and I get it to some degree, right? Because not everyone can go and start a conversation with a random person and find out everything about them or make them feel comfortable or relate to them or or any of that. So you know, in, in that aspect, it's it's you know a leg up, but but just the amount of data that you can pay for and anyone can pay for this i could pay for this yeah. it, it, i don't have to be a big company yeah and so you know there's all this like you said there's these a lot of these companies own who we are and right. unlike europe and other places where you have rights yes. to to say i don't want you to to own the information about me we don't so right you know as is it just a matter of 
being a technologist and questioning the the ethics of the situation or is there there more you know that we can do yeah i absolutely think there's more we can do and it's uh, something i'm a big proponent of which is we should be allowed to sell our own data as individuals so if we make the choice whether it's our healthcare information our social information we should have the ability to say on some type of consortium yes laura wants to sell her data why should companies make money off of our data why shouldn't we be able to make that choice ourselves that's one thing we can do to empower ourselves to make that choice and I know that's some that's the way we're going and I predict in the next 10 years you will see this wildly everywhere where that is a but, but do you think that would I mean we're already at a at a state in the world where people are selling themselves to some degree on YouTube and TikTok But they're not making money. Well, if they get to a certain money, level, yeah. they're making money. But I'm talking more about, and a lot of that's fake. You, you can buy your followers these days, so you end up becoming an influencer, quote-unquote, but yet you bought it. Uh, what I mean more of is like your, your transaction basis, your healthcare data, your records that are uh, unequivocally who you are, not you know who you put forth into the world. But, but I guess what I'm asking is wouldn't that – I mean, but like it's I, a choice. It's a choice that we have about our data that we don't have today. Companies can sell our data because we didn't read the terms and conditions when we signed up for our, our nameless account, you know, for our free but, email. But or do you our think that would media. make us even more disconnected? Hey, now, besides, you know, putting tons of pictures and showing my whole life now, here's here's me. Here's. I'm, you know, super unhealthy. I, you know, but it's this. the reality. What do you think when you're wearing haptics and and wearables? What do you think that? Where do you think that data is going? It's exactly everything you're saying. It's measuring how much water you're drinking, whether you're working out. All that information is being sold to somebody somewhere. Why not empower yourself to make that decision yourself? That's one way. The second way is yes, you need to have companies that have no value that they gain from doing this as the consortium. You can't have people that have a revenue-based, you know, influence to want to go out and, and own your data. So all these companies and social, you know, spaces that we go and sign up for, they should not be the ones making this decision because they have a vested interest in themselves to make money. Why not have the ubiquitous consortium that, you know, is more of a transaction record that doesn't have that motivation to make money off of you like these other companies that we give access to. Every time you check that box because you don't want to create an account and you want to link it to your social profile because it's easier is another checkbox of you giving away another piece of who you are and you make no money off of that today on a broad scale. So why not own that? Because do you really trust Eric, yourself, who has no social presence, these companies? No, I don't no. think you do. No, I wouldn't. And, 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 the and thing is that, well, there's one other point, though, that I want to make, and that is the, the Cambridge Analytica thing shook me to my core because what they did in, in a small scale, if you think about what um, NLP or the ability to take the things we say to translate that down into an algorithm and a result set about who you are, to scrape that information and then use it from a psychological basis, back to your question about hiring of psychologists and behaviorists, well, that's what they did to be able to say, not only is Eric a healthy person and he, you know, does these things and maybe he's a safe driver because he buys, you know, cleaning products where he takes care of his car. But now I can then influence the, the elections and, you know, our democracy at scale because now I have this information. I can package it together in a way that says candidate X 
this is information you didn't know. Go after them in this way because this sort of nomenclature will influence them to do something maybe they didn't think they would do. That's what gets really scary. That's where democracy then gets affected. And this goes back to, again, responsible AI and the power that data scientists can wield. Hopefully you found it just as interesting as I did to learn about responsible AI and how uh, technologists of all kind can can have a great effect on on today's modern world. If you're interested to hear part two of this discussion where we talk about telling the, the story of the human in the loop, uh, AI for good, and women in technology, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.